I wish I could remember what I had done to make this girl so mad. Um, I cannot even remember the little girl's name. We were young kids, maybe third or fourth grade, elementary school, and all I remember is sitting in my desk. You remember those little desks with the little space underneath them for your books? Like sitting in that desk and knowing that the girl in front of me was super mad. Uh, seems like maybe I called her a name or like pulled her pigtails or something. You know, they love that. Uh, but I don't know what I did wrong. But what I do remember is that I wrote her a note. And it was on an index card. And I used like every crown in the box. Like I wanted this index card to be special. And, and, the, and it was a picture that I drew of just two words. And those two words were, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't remember what I was sorry about. Not a clue what class we were in. Uh, I only remember that I felt some guilt about something. And I felt like I needed to tell her that I was sorry for that thing. So I wrote her this pic, this, this, this you know, note, colored it. It was all pretty. I tapped her on the shoulder. And she turned around, she said, what? And I said, I made you this. And she didn't skip a beat, man, with just like fire in her eyes. She looked at me and she said, you spelled it wrong. Sorry has two R's. And then she turned back around. (laughs) What do you do? What did I do wrong? Like my mama always taught me that you're supposed to say I'm sorry. So I did. Ma, I know you're watching this. What did I do wrong? Like, let me know. Shoot me a text. I don't know what I did wrong. I tried, and I don't think she forgave me. Oh, man. You know I love to tell stories, and uh, (laughs) the reason I tell that story today is because we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness. And uh, I don't know that I got any forgiveness that day. You know we're in this teaching series called Long Story Short, and we're going through some of the parables that Jesus taught, uh, and one of the stories that he tells is about forgiveness. And I don't think that the little girl in my third grade class had ever heard this parable, because I think if she had, things would have gone differently. I really believe that. Uh, But we're going to be looking at that uh, forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's greatest gift to us. And it's also something that he expects us to give to other people in return. And so Jesus did some strong teaching on forgiveness in his time here on earth. And so what we're going to do is jump right into today's story and hear a parable from Jesus. If you've got a Bible, Flip over or scroll down on your device to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Here Jesus is with his disciples again, and they're going through a time of teaching. There's several teaching things happening in Matthew chapter 18. But when we get to verse 21, we see Peter. Now he tends to be the most vocal of the disciples, and he has a question that's going to kick us off. So let's take a look at that. Matthew 18 verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times... Shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So just previous to this question, Jesus had been doing some teaching on what to do if someone had done you wrong. And it was the steps you can take. And really good teaching. You should go check that out. It's a really good way to deal with conflict, uh, both within the church, which is kind of the context or whatever for, you know, with, with people who believe like you, but also beyond that circle of people, how you can approach People who do you wrong. And so this has got Peter's mind, you know, turning. And he's like, all right, so I'm thinking about people doing me wrong. So I got a question. I'm trying to understand what you're saying about people who do me wrong. I know you want us to extend some grace to them, some forgiveness. So brass tacks here, Jesus. How many times should we forgive them? I mean, there's, there's got to be a limit, right? Seven times? There was a tradition at the time for Jews that you should be willing to forgive someone up to three times for the same offense. Not four times, three times. 
Three times you're good, four times you're dead to me. Like that's just, it was, it was a hard line at three and that was the tradition. And so Peter, who had heard Jesus speak many times, for example, in Matthew chapter six, verse 14, we get this teaching from Jesus about forgiveness. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And so Peter sees forgiveness is pretty important to God. And so he takes some steps here. He's like, well, tradition says we should forgive people, you know, up to three times. So let me raise the bar on that. How about seven times? You know, it, it seems generous. He more than doubles the cultural standard of the day. But then Jesus responds to him with an answer that I think probably surprised Peter. He says, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. A couple of cool things here about this 77 times here. If you've heard this teaching before, you, you, you might have a couple of ideas. And uh, this, is, this is some that I've come to understand. The first one is this. Uh, Jews were notoriously uh, interested in symbolism when it came to numbers. And so the number seven, very important number to the Jews. And one thing that the number seven can symbolize is completion, even perfection. But maybe what Jesus was saying when he said 77 times, like, look, two sevens, seven and seven, 77 times, you should forgive completely if seven equals completeness. And so maybe that's one thing that Jesus meant. Perhaps I think that that's actually something that lines up very good with what Jesus says. Here's a second idea of what Jesus might have been referring to at that time. Jesus could have been being literal, like he meant 77 times, not 78 times. When you get to 76 times, one more time and you're done. Uh, I don't think that Jesus was being literal here. He, uh, The rest of the context doesn't seem to show that, but still seems like way more generous than three, even more generous than seven. But I think there's a third option, and it might go along with something that the disciples would have recognized. So uh, I, I've said before, when a Jewish rabbi was teaching, he would very often refer to Old Testament concepts and expect his students to just pick up on it you know and when we do this all the time if you say well it's like honest abe i mean we get that it's part of our culture we understand well there was a phrase having to do with 77 that was very familiar to these guys and it had to do with one of the old testament's most notorious villains cain so if, if you look at genesis chapter 4 verse 24 this might have been the first thing that the disciples thought about when he said 77 times it says if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. So there's that phrase. What does it mean? That idea tied itself to what was seen as the evilness of Cain and his family line. Because this is Cain here. He's this guy who commits the first murder in history. He kills his brother Abel. And then by extension, his family tree becomes kind of synonymous with evil. In fact, his great, 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 I think six or seven generations grandson is this guy named Lamech. And when you read about him, that passage we just read is a poem about Lamech and basically how evil he was. He was ready to kill just about anybody for just about anything. And so when Jesus says that, it's almost as if he's saying, Peter says, should we forgive him seven times? And Jesus is like, how about 77 times? How about we forgive someone until they are at least as bad off as Cain and Lamech? Like so... And I don't know if I'm fully representing what uh, the disciples must have understood about that, but I think we get the big picture. When Jesus talks about forgiveness, he's talking about we need to be willing to forgive many, many, many times. 
And we're going to see here in just a second that it's because it's at the heart of God to be merciful and to forgive, which is where we get into today's parable. Jesus uses the story we're going to read today as his teaching point to explain forgiveness. And we're going to break this up into what I'm going to kind of call like three acts, like act one, act two, act three, like a play. And so we're going to jump into our first act here of this parable, Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 23. Jesus says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay it, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. I try to teach on forgiveness at least once a year because I've learned that it's one of the areas of our life that we have the most problem with. I mean, we, we are a grudge-holding, frustrated society. We, we A lot of our pain that we're going through today is our inability to let go of things that happened in the past. Even what we're happening, even what we're dealing with, with uh, race relations and um and unity on those lines. I mean, it, a lot of it stems from whether it was victims or perpetrators of our inability to simply forgive because it's hard. It is extremely hard to let something go when something's done against you. Uh, and so I don't think that we're that much different than Jesus's original audience as this goes. And so I think that's why Jesus brings it up here. We're talking about forgiveness and Jesus goes directly to one of the things that we tend to value the most to make his point. And that thing is our money. Okay, so forgiveness was originally a financial term. If you have a debt and that debt is canceled, you have been forgiven of that debt. It's a really good feeling, isn't it? And so this guy had some debts. I mean, 10,000 bags of gold. Do you have 10,000 bags of anything? I can't think of anything that I could fill up 10,000 bags with. If I went to the beach and started filling up bags with sand, I don't think I would have the patience to fill up 10,000 bags. Now, some have estimated that 10,000 bags of gold is roughly equivalent to three lifetimes of salary at Jesus's time. Okay, so we're talking just an insurmountable amount of debt, a crazy amount. Okay, so that, that's the story. And you got this king. Now, the king, uh, we're, we're learning that in parables, the king generally represents, uh, or an authority figure rather, represents God in a parable. And so the king represents God. So you got God, he's calling someone to the table for an immense amount of debt. And of course the guy can't pay it. I mean, how are you going to pay three lifetimes worth of debt? So this king suggests that let's sell your family. You know, we'll sell your wife, we'll sell your kids. Now, is that going to pay off three lifetimes worth of debt? No, but it's better to get something rather than nothing. But then something unexpected happens here. The man begs for mercy. And the king just wipes the slate clean. He forgives the entire debt. Unheard of. Ridiculous. Crazy. Now, I want to take a time out right here. I want to pause, okay? Because odds are good that a lot of us have heard this story before. Shoot, at Venture Church, I have talked through the story a number of times over the last four or five years from different angles. And so, uh, remember, parables are meant to be pondered. They're meant to be thought about. They're not meant to be solved or, or, or completely, you know, I've got you know, the end of the story. It's, it's not like a biography that we want to rush to the end to get to the end. 
we want to sit on it. We want to let it marinate for a little while. And so if you've heard this before, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to forget what you think you know about this parable. Okay, we've, we've approached it a couple of different ways in the past, generally one specific way. But I think there's more that this parable can teach us today than you might think. So let's hear this with fresh ears this time. Uh, the first guy, the king's servant, is forgiven a huge debt, a lifetime's worth of debt. Then we're going to get to our second act, Matthew chapter 18, verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Okay, by comparison, uh, this is about three months salary versus three lifetimes of salary. Continue. He grabbed him. He began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay it back. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. So the first servant has just been forgiven an enormous debt, one that he could never pay back, three lifetimes worth of salary. And he's got the nerve to walk right outside the king's house, find some dude who owned him, owed him a good amount of money. Three months salary is, is no, no joke. But to not just ask the money back, like I think that might have been acceptable. Maybe the guy had needs. He couldn't afford groceries that day. He obviously was hard up for cash because he couldn't pay his own debt. Maybe he just needed a little bit of money. I, but he's violent with this guy. He begins to choke this guy. Maybe you've asked somebody to pay you back something that they owe you. If you have ever resorted to choking them, you have gone too far. This guy is choking. Okay, so then we get to act three. Because if you're, if you're frustrated with this guy, you're not the only one. Okay, then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And then Jesus continues to his point. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And so there it is again, forgiveness. What do we do with that? Well, on the surface... Uh, there's an easy teaching. I've been giving each week a long story short summary, like a sentence. And so this is probably what it is, that God expects us to forgive others because he has forgiven us. And that is a great lesson to learn. That's definitely the surface level story. Forgiveness is a big deal to God. We should forgive other people. But I want to take it a step further today. Uh, as a church, because we've looked at this parable a number of times from different angles, generally we look at it from asking the question, what does it look like for me to forgive other people? Again, that's probably the biggest lesson to walk away with. What does it look like for me to forgive other people? But remember, parables are meant to ask us uh, questions that we can chew on for later. And so if if that's our answer, I think the question we're asking ourselves is like something like, what does it look like for you to forgive other people? Like that's probably the question that we are initially asking. What does it look like for you to forgive other people? But today I want to ask us another question, okay? And this is a question I want us to chew on uh, for the rest of our time together and hopefully something that you can take home with you today. How should God's forgiveness change us? How should God's forgiveness change us? 
So this is where Jesus is teaching me to forgive people, right? That's what this story is. But it's also a glaring accusation of me. Uh, I don't know if you see the accusation. Do you see it? It's right there in the story, but I think that we just skip right over it because it hurts too bad. Of the three main characters in the story, okay, so we got a king, we got the first servant, and we got the second servant. The king represents who? That's God, okay? And who do you think is supposed to uh, relate most in the story to the hearer of the story? So Peter has asked this question. Who do you think Jesus is, is, is hoping Peter will relate to? The first servant, the one who goes and gets called in for 10,000 bags of gold. We as the student and we as the hearer, that's also, I think, who we should most relate with. And the first thing we learn about that first servant, okay, so that's me and you in the parable. What's the first thing we learn? That this dude is up to his eyeballs in debt, like insurmountable debt. Jesus is pointing out just how crazy in debt this guy is. And, and by exchange, he's sharing with me. This is the accusation. Just how jacked up my soul is when Jesus isn't in it. Do you see that? Like the point of the story begins saying, hey, listen, you, listener, you are, you are, you have an insurmountable debt to the master, to the king, to God. It's time to pay up. Now, the promise of Jesus is that he will forgive so how should God's forgiveness change me? Uh, carrying a burden of debt is, is something that I know a little bit about. Um, I, One example, my wife and I owned a house in Greenville, North Carolina, but for about the last seven or eight years, we have been the landlords of that property. If you've ever been a landlord, you know that it's everything that people say that it is. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, it, it, was, it was a rough situation. Uh, we had, you know constantly we had some good tenants but we had a string of bad tenants or tenants who couldn't pay on time and it's funny how banks are about mortgages uh if, if they don't pay us and we don't pay the bank then we're in trouble so here we are paying like double living expenses when they don't pay i ended up having to evict a lady once that was terrible i had to do uh we had some people who didn't take care of our property very well well every few months i'd get a call like you know the ac is broken or there's a leak in the kitchen or i, I once had this tenant who she didn't hook up her um washing machine correctly and she didn't realize there was a steady trickle of water just running down the back wall behind the washing machine for like months and it puddled deep inside her uh her underneath the the laundry room area she still didn't notice it until it leaked all the way through the wall and into the bedroom and halfway across the room soaking into her carpet yeah that's rough and then she calls me she's like um can you come fix this i'm like you can't fix that you got to replace that. That's what you got to do. And so, you know, it was everything we dreamed it would be. Uh, and, and the house was was a financial debt. It was a pain because it was also a little bit upside down. For a while, it lived in a depreciating neighborhood. And so there was a point where we actually owed more on it than it was worth. But one day, this was last year, we sold that house. And we actually made just a tiny little profit on it. And let me tell you, we were singing with the angels that day. We were dancing and, and, and cheering. Like and, and hardly a, a month goes by where me or my wife doesn't look at each other and go, hey, we don't own a house in Greenville anymore. <laughs> because here's the deal. The debt is gone. It's not hanging over our head anymore. And so 
when you understand to when a, a debt is completely forgiven, maybe you've paid off a car or a student loan or a house or a big debt that you just owed somebody for something, isn't there this feeling of like, oh, I can breathe now? God's offer is that he would come in and completely forgive the debt of sin that we owe him. That is the gospel narrative. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what the church exists to talk about. So immediately, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. Listen to the way he describes this relief of debt. He says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Okay, so that's the picture of debt. Like it's not a pretty picture. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich, what is God rich in? Mercy. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. So let me take us back to our question. How should God's forgiveness change us? Well, it should change everything about us, particularly based on this parable, how we interact with the world around us. Should we forgive people? Yes, that's the first lesson of this story, but it's more than that. It should work out in my integrity at work. It should work out in how it shapes the language that I use. It should shape the way that I spend my time. It should shape the entertainment that I consume. It should shape the way that I raise my kids and that I interact with my wife and my neighbor. It should change all of me every time I think about it. My whole worldview should jump with joy and praise God because I want to seek and honor that merciful king who forgave my debt. And then every time I think about it, I go, huh, I don't own a house in Greenville anymore. You know, I've been forgiven. God loves me and I'm standing in his kingdom. Have you had that conversation with God? The one where God calls you to the table? The one where you're made aware of, of the huge, insurmountable debt that you could never pay off. Maybe you're just realizing it for the first time today. Uh, and, and I want you to know, today could be that fresh start for you. You can accept Christ into your life. If you're with a house church watch party right now, talk to somebody about it before you leave. One of the first things we're taught to do when we accept Jesus is that we enter into a covenant with him through baptism. Let's celebrate a baptism today for you. Let somebody know. We'll do it. Take a picture. Share it online. It'd be awesome to know that you had that conversation with the king and he's agreed to forgive your debt. Or maybe you've been thinking about giving it over to Jesus for a while, but you just haven't. What's, what's standing in your way? What's stopping you? Let's do that. Let's make that decision. But maybe for you, it's been years since you made that decision. And so maybe you don't clearly remember what it felt like to be forgiven. How should it change you? Well, I'm going to tell you this. It is so much better than selling a house or paying off a student loan. The knowledge that the king has pardoned you from your sin and given you a fresh start. So here's what I want you to do. If you've already made this decision, even if it was a long time ago, or maybe you're making it today for the first time, let's all go collectively to that fresh start point. 
Let's go there, okay? Today, the king has just offered you pardon. It is you know, June 21st, 2020. And so today, as you wrap up your house church watch party or as you close your laptop and go on with your day and you turn to face the world, how should God's forgiveness change you as other people see you? What should it impact? It's a parable. You're supposed to think about it. I don't have the clearest answer for you, but I do want to do this. I gave you a long story short statement earlier, and it's a pretty good one. But I want to update my long story short statement for you to think about this week. And it's this. God's forgiveness should reshape how we interact with the world. God's forgiveness should reshape how we interact with the world. So today, before you post it, before you say it, before you buy it, before you rant about it, before you do it, whatever it is you're going to do before anything, remember what the king has offered. And let's reshape the world around the grace of our merciful king. That's today's long story short. Let's pray.